Section 8 of An American Tragedy, Volume 1, by Theodore Dreiser. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Tatiana Chichilla. Book 1, Chapter 8. The thing that most interested Clyde at first was how, if at all, he was to keep the major portion of all this money he was making for himself. For ever since he had been working and earning money, it had been assumed that he would contribute a fair portion of all that he received, at least three-fourths of the smaller salaries he had received up to this time, toward the upkeep of the home. But now, if he announced that he was receiving at least $25 a week and more, and this entirely apart from the salary of 15 a month and board, his parents would assuredly expect him to pay 10 or 12. But so long had he been haunted by the desire to make himself as attractive-looking as any other well-dressed boy, that now that he had the opportunity, he could not resist the temptation to equip himself first, and as speedily as possible. Accordingly, he decided to say to his mother that all of the tips he received aggregated no more than a dollar a day, and, in order to give himself greater freedom of action in the matter of disposing of his spare time, he announced that frequently, in addition to the long hours demanded of him every other day, he was expected to take the place of other boys who were sick or set to doing other things, and also, he explained that the management demanded of all boys that they look well outside as well as inside the hotel. He could not long be seen coming to the hotel in the clothes that he now wore. Mr. Squires, he said, had hinted as much. But, as if to soften the blow, one of the boys at the hotel had told him of a place where he could procure quite all the things that he needed on time. And so unsophisticated was his mother in these matters that she believed him. But that was not all. He was now daily in contact with a type of youth who, because of his larger experience with the world and with the luxuries and vices of such a life as this, had already been inducted into certain forms of libertinism and vice, even which up to this time were entirely foreign to Clyde's knowledge, and set him agape with wonder, and at first with even a timorous distaste. Thus, as Hegland had pointed out, a certain percentage of this group, of which Clyde was now one, made common cause in connection with quite regular adventures, which usually followed their monthly pay night. These adventures, according to their moods and their cash at the time, led them to either to one of two famous and not respectable all-night restaurants. In groups, as he gathered by degrees from hearing them talk, they were pleased to indulge in occasional late showy suppers with drinks, after which they were wont to go to either some flashy dance hall of the downtown section to pick up a girl, or that failing as a source of group interest, to visit some notorious, or as they would have deemed it reputed, brothel, very frequently camouflaged as a boarding house, where for much less than the amount of cash in their possession, they could, as they often boasted, have any girl in the house. And here, of course, because of their known youth, ignorance, liberality, and uniform geniality and good looks, they were made much of, as a rule, being made most welcome by the various madams and girls of these places, who sought, for commercial reasons, of course, to interest them to come again. And so starved had been Clyde's life up to this time, and so eager was he for almost any form of pleasure, that from the first he listened with all too eager ears to any account of anything that spelled adventure or pleasure. Not that he approved of these types of adventures. As a matter of fact, at first it offended and depressed him, seeing as he did that it ran counter to all he had heard and been told to believe these many years. Nevertheless, so sharp a change and relief from the dreary and repressed work in which he had been brought up was it that he could not help thinking of all of this, 
with an itch for the variety and color it seemed to suggest. He listened sympathetically and eagerly, even while at times he was mentally disapproving of what he heard. And seeing him so sympathetic and genial, first one and then another of these youths made overtures to him to go here, there, or the other place. To a show, a restaurant, one of their homes, where a card game might be indulged in by two or three of them, or even to one of the shameless houses, contact with which Clyde at first resolutely refused. But by degrees, becoming familiar with Hegland and Ratterer, both of whom he liked very much, and being invited by them to a joy-night supper, a blowout, as they termed it, at Frissel's, he decided to go. "'There's going to be another one of our monthly blowouts tomorrow night, Clyde, around at Frissel's,' Ratterer had said to him. "'Don't you want to come along? You haven't been yet.' By this time, Clyde, having acclimated himself to this caloric atmosphere, was by no means as dubious as he was at first. For by now, in imitation of Doyle, whom he had studied most carefully and to great advantage, he had outfitted himself with a new brown suit, cap, overcoat, socks, stickpin, and shoes, as near like those of his mentor as possible, and the costume became him well, excellently well, so much so that he was far more attractive than he had ever been in his life, and now not only his parents, but his younger brother and sister were not a little astonished and even amazed by the change. How could Clyde have come by all this grandeur so speedily? How much could all this that he wore now have cost? Was he not hypothecating more of his future earnings for his temporary grandeur than was really wise? He might need it in the future. The other children needed things, too. And was the moral and spiritual atmosphere of a place that made him work such long hours, and kept him out so late every day, and for so little pay, just the place to work? To all of which he had replied, rather artfully for him, that it was for all the best. He wasn't working too hard. His clothes were not too fine, by any means. His mother should see some of the other boys. He was not spending too much money. And anyhow, he had a long while in which to pay for all he had bought. But now, as to this supper, that was a different matter even to him. How, he asked himself, in case the thing lasted until very late, as was expected, could he explain to his mother and father his remaining out so very late? Ratterer had said it might last until three or four, anyhow, although he might go, of course, at any time. But how would that look, deserting the crowd? And yet, hang it all, most of them did not live at home as he did, or if they did, like Ratterer, they had parents who didn't mind what they did. Still, a late supper like that, was it wise? All these boys drank and thought nothing of it. Hegland, Ratterer, Kinsella, Scheel. It must be silly for him to think that there was so much danger in drinking a little, as they did on those occasions. On the other hand, it was true that he need not drink unless he wanted to. He could go, and if anything was said at home, he would say that he had to work late. What difference did it make if he stayed out late once in a while? Wasn't he a man now? Wasn't he making more money than anyone else in the family? And couldn't he begin to do as he pleased? He began to sense the delight of personal freedom, to sniff the air of personal and delicious romance, and he was not to be held back by any suggestion which his mother could now make. End of Book 1, Chapter 8